0: sometimes we are we follow jesus for a long time and we forget what life used to be like so take a minute and reflect on where you were before jesus before we met you, we were lost, and it was, we reflect on it, it's clear we were lost. Not knowing what we were to do and what we were doing, but you rescued us from the pit that we dug. You pulled us out, cleaned us up, you got in the dirt with us. told us you don't have to stay there. Thank you, you, Lord, for rescuing us, that you did it because you're good and kind and merciful, not because you uh, heard us doing anything noteworthy to rescue us, but you loved us and pulled us out of the pit. So we love you, Lord, and we have gratitude for that. And I ask, Lord, that that in the way that there's been transformation already, that there would be more transformation. Five years from now, we would look back and be like, wow, Jesus has still continued to change my life. We bless you, Lord, and as we look into your word this morning, ask that your Holy Spirit would be our primary teacher, explaining and illuminating scripture, and we pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I want to remind you, we do have child care for uh, the nursery and ages, uh, okay, Jason Davis, ages, kindergarten and under should already be downstairs. If your kids are in ages, uh, grades one through five, Jason Davis is going to take them. He's right there in the doorway. If they would like to go with him, they can. Or if they want to hear a sermon, they can stay here. So grades one through five can do, go with Jason if they'd like or they can sit and hear a really good sermon about Pokemon. Okay, just kidding. No Pokemon in this particular sermon. All right, I want to give you a glimpse into what life is like in Bible school, Bible college. All right, I didn't really go to a Bible college. I went to a Christian liberal arts university college, but... uh, when I was learning how to preach, I had I had great preaching professors. I love my preaching professors. They really did a great job kind of instilling in us the purpose of preaching and some of the practical elements of putting together and delivering a sermon, and I really appreciate that. Um, but uh, one of the principles that they really kind of nailed into us was this. You can't lead anyone further than you've gone yourself. You cannot take people further into God or further with God than you've gone yourself, and so... Uh, you're going to have to have a vibrant uh, relationship with God in order to lead people. And they really drilled that into us, and they should have drilled that into us. They did the right thing there. So we were learning, at least the principle, you cannot take people further than you've gone yourself. And I remember one day someone, uh, someone raised their hand and asked, and this is all a little bit of a cloudy memory. I'm paraphrasing here. but So what should we do? when we get to a passage in the Bible that we have not experienced yet. So for example, let's say I have to preach on forgiveness, but I haven't forgiven people yet. Or let's say I have to preach on this, this, the sin of greed, but I still have greed in my heart. Should I skip those passages until I've dealt with those things? And the professor replied... Again, this is a paraphrase, something to the effect of, well, you could do that. You could skip all the passages that you haven't applied to yourself yet. But if you do that, you're going to limit the growth of your congregation because their growth is never going they're, they're not going to ever get further than your own junk. If you're an unforgiving pastor, which leads you to not preach on forgiveness, you're going to have a whole unforgiving congregation. The better approach would be, if you see a passage coming that you have not applied to your life, here's what you do. Apply it. <laughs> if, there's, if there's a sermon on forgiveness coming up and you still have unforgiveness in your heart, don't skip that sermon. Deal with your unforgiveness. you got seven days, man, in between sermons. If you have greed, unforgiveness, hatred, lust, whatever—all that stuff in your heart—don't skip the passages that talk about those things. Deal with your stuff, and you have a couple days to deal with it. And you better get real fast. I'll tell you, I love preaching, but for many reasons. One of them being, it forces me to get real with my own self on a weekly basis. Um, John Eric's preaching next week, so I can fake it for at least another 13 days, but that's a joke guys. Okay. But, uh, you can only lead people as far as you've gone yourself. I mean, if, if I've never been, uh, I've never been to a Sixers game personally. So if someone asked me, well, what do I do if I go to a Sixers game? Where do I get my ticket? And where do I, where's the best place to get concessions? And what's the best restroom to use? And where should I sit? I would have to say, I don't know. I have some guesses. I have some theories. But I couldn't tell you from experience how to do that. You know? Now, some folks don't feel the need to keep their mouth shut when they haven't gone or done a certain thing. They're more than happy to offer advice, even without having experienced themselves. Um, but we want to make sure that we understand this principle. You cannot lead people further than you've gone yourself. So last week, I talked to you about Apollos. Apollos. And Apollos was actually a perfect example of someone who could not lead other people any further than he had gone himself. Apollos was uh, a sincere and gifted and skilled teacher of the Bible, but he had an incomplete faith. Uh, Without re-preaching the whole sermon from last week, I want to just read the passage that we looked at last week. This is not up on the screen, so it's not going to be behind me. If you have a Bible, either a paper one or one on your you know, phone or whatever, you can look at that. This is Acts 18, verses 24 through 28. Now a Jewish man named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the Scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. When he wanted to go across to Achaia, Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. So here's a little review on Apollos. Apollos taught the way of God accurately. It says he was accurate and he was also fervent. Normally, fervency comes when you deeply believe it yourself. He's not just teaching principles like in a classroom, but he's actually sharing from the overflow of his own belief in God. And so we see that Apollos could be described as sincere. It's genuine. It's real. He's not putting on a show or performing, you know, putting on a religious performance. It's sincere, and he's also accurate. But it says he was only acquainted with the baptism of John or John the Baptist. So John the Baptist's baptism was a baptism of repentance. Okay, this is a review from last week. Apollos was accurate and he was sincere, but he did not have the whole story. He had the story up to John the Baptist. He had not heard of Jesus's death and resurrection, most likely. He did not know about the Holy Spirit being poured out at Pentecost. So he was good up to a point. But he did not have the whole story. He kind of had the VHS, you know, level. Like, it does what it's supposed to do, but it's not the most up-to-date medium. You understand what I'm saying? You you guys know what VHS are. Okay, I know. I'm looking around. You guys know what VHS are. All right. So, again, he's sincere. He's accurate. He's just out-of-date. With the newest information about Jesus, he only gets up to John the Baptist. So uh, if that's, that's Acts chapter 18. That's the end of cha- Acts chapter 18. If you have a paper Bible or you're looking at one on a phone, you'll see that after Acts chapter 18 comes something called Acts chapter 19. That's, that's basically how every book of the Bible works. There's a little tip for you. The chapters are in numerical order. If you cover the 19 and ignore the fact that there's a new chapter starting here, the next story makes a lot more sense. The chapter breaks in the Bible are inserted by us so that we can find passages more quickly. Okay, but they're not there originally. So the end of Acts chapter 18 and the beginning of Acts chapter 19 are one continuous story. Okay, so this is the beginning of Acts 19. It happened... That while Apollos was at Corinth, so this means that Apollos left Ephesus. Okay, last week he was in Ephesus, but this week he's in Corinth, which is in Greece, totally different country. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. Oh, well that's good because last week uh, Apollos was in Ephesus, but he left. But now Paul has come into Ephesus. You got it? It's like as soon as Apollos left town, Paul came into town, okay? And he found, Paul found some disciples, and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, no, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. Oh, so you're telling me that these guys believe the same thing that Apollos believed. And Apollos was just in their town teaching the Bible. So, where do you think they got this idea from? Probably Apollos. These are probably some of Apollos' students, probably taught by him. They also didn't know about the death and resurrection of, uh, sorry, they also didn't know about the pouring out of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. They also had not been baptized in Jesus' name, they were only familiar with the baptism of John. Paul said to them, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who is coming after him, that is, in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. There were in all about 12 men. So let's review this story really quick. Apollos is going through the city of Ephesus. We got that? He's teaching in the synagogues the message of John the Baptist of repentance. Then we find these 12 Jewish men who believe everything that Apollos has been teaching in the same city. They were probably his students. So this is an illustration of the principle you can only lead people as far as you've gone. Apollos is only able to teach them about repentance because that's all he knows. He's only able to lead them up to the baptism of John the Baptist because that's all he's experienced. But then the Apostle Paul comes in. He's actually able to lead them into a deeper experience because he has had a deeper experience. In Acts chapter 9, the Apostle Paul is actually filled with the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul has gone way farther than Apollos. And because he's gone farther himself, he's able to lead these 12 men into this uh, experience with the Holy Spirit. So, When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them. He's able to take them as far as he's gone. So Apollos and Paul are really proving the same principle. You cannot lead people any farther than you've gone, but you can lead them as far as you've gone. And that's what he's doing. He's saying, well, I know there's more than what you've experienced, which kind of is our underlying point. There is more than what you've experienced. When it comes to following Jesus and life in the Holy Spirit, there is more than what you've already experienced. I want to focus on this experience that they have of being filled with the Holy Spirit here. There are four principles that I want to touch on that relate to this encounter that they have with Paul where they're filled with the Holy Spirit. So there's four ideas that I want to communicate. The first is this, that The filling of the Holy Spirit is not the same thing as getting saved. Okay? That the filling of the Holy Spirit is distinct from your conversion. So let me lay a little basic groundwork. Every person that's ever been born uh, is born in sin. Uh, Adam and Eve were not, and Jesus was not. Other than that, we've all been born in sin. We're all born lost, we're all born with a tendency to sin. I don't know any person that's ever not sinned. And the ones that say they haven't are liars, it says in 1 John. So every single one of us needs to be saved. And we have to respond to the work of God in Jesus and through Jesus in order to do that. So when we talk about conversion, we're talking about putting our faith in Jesus. We're talking about becoming a Christian. Another way to say it is getting saved. People say that all the time, okay? Uh, Are you saved? When did you get saved? I've been saved. I got saved on this date. We talk about that. Jesus actually used the phrase born again to refer to that moment, that experience, that we must be born again. They didn't totally understand Jesus. When Jesus said born again, they said, do you mean I have to go back into my mother? That's actually what they said. Don't get mad at me for saying it that way, okay? That's what they said. So it's, it's a distinct, being saved, getting saved, converting, following Christ, trusting Christ is a distinct moment in the life of every Christian, okay? You don't have to necessarily know the date and the humidity and the time and the latitude and the longitude or anything like that, although some people do know that stuff. I know it was, for me, it was March 12th, 1995. It was before church, so it was probably about 8 or 9 in the morning on a Sunday morning, and you don't have to know all that information. You just have to know that it, it is a response to God. It is a moment in time uh, that, that happens. It's not something that you just drift into. OK, there, there, there is a moment. It's, it's kind of like uh, falling in love and getting engaged and getting married. You, you, you might not be able to pinpoint uh, when exactly you fell in love. But if you end up getting married, there are some definite moments there are some distinct markers in that relationship that you can point to and say, this is when I made a decision based on the direction my life was heading. So the filling of the Holy Spirit is not the same thing as getting saved. It is distinct from that. The filling of the Holy Spirit is distinct from conversion. Let's look at the question that Paul asks them um, in, at the beginning. He says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now look, they're identified as disciples here. These are not you know, evil, pagan, idol worshipers. They're disciples. They are people that are following God. Okay? They might be imperfect. They might not know all the theology, but they're disciples. And he says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So there's an implication there that they have believed already. They've already responded to God with belief and faith. So he asks them, did you receive the Holy Spirit? What an interesting question. Because uh, sometimes we teach that every every Christian is full of the Holy Spirit. But they're not. Or else Paul wouldn't be asking this question. They say, we haven't even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. Now, if they're good Jewish boys and girls, well, they're all boys in this passage. If they grew up good Jewish kids, they knew there was a Holy Spirit. What they're probably saying here is, we didn't even know we could receive the Holy Spirit. We've heard of the Ruach HaKodesh, which is a Hebrew for Holy Spirit, but we didn't know you could receive the Holy Spirit. We didn't know the Holy Spirit had been poured out like at Pentecost. So they're saying, this is new information. So Paul's like, well, then what baptism did you receive? And he, that's when he realizes, oh, you're disciples of John. You've received the baptism of John, and which is a baptism of repentance, which is good. But it's not the whole story. And so they've received the baptism of John. Uh, They are are spiritual. They are religious. But they are not full of the Holy Spirit. And we know that Paul actually leads them into that encounter. Recently, uh, I came across a study by George Barna. George Barna is a statistician. And he employs all these people to go take surveys and conduct polls and all this stuff. And so he wanted to know about the beliefs of people that claim to be Christians. And uh, right now, 65% of Americans claim to be Christians, and there is no way that that is correct. And I want to talk about that later. But he polled about 2,000 Christians, and he asked them some basic theology questions. 22% 22% of people that claim to be Christians believe that Jesus sinned. 22 percent's kind of high to not get that main idea of Christianity, that Jesus sinned. I mean, I understand there's always going to be like 3 to 5% of people that just don't get it. 22, you're talking like 1 out of 4, almost, believe that Jesus sinned at some point. Like, missing... So much of the New Testament, get this, if this doesn't uh, make you want to riot, 58% of Christians in the United States in 2009, 58% do not believe the Holy Spirit is real. 58% believe the Holy Spirit is a metaphor or a symbol in the Bible, not a real person, not a real divine being. Guys, 58% is most of us. That mean, right. That means that if you have the correct view of the Holy Spirit, you're in the minority. I was telling my wife these statistics, and she said, so is the problem that pastors aren't teaching it or that people aren't studying the Bible for themselves? And I said, both. I mean, I know for sure pastors are not teaching this enough. But I also know you don't need a pastor to open your Bible for you and put your nose in it, right? There is no way 58% of Christians in the United States should believe that the Holy Spirit is not real and that 22% should believe that Jesus sinned. So just because you're a little bit spiritual and a little bit religious does not mean that you are full of God. Does not mean that you're full of the Holy Spirit. You following this so far? I'm going to share some more stats later that are just going to make you cry. These disciples that we see in Acts 19, they had already repented. They had already been baptized in the name of John. But now they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit, okay? But they are not filled with the Holy Spirit. I can't say it any more clear than that. Every Christian is indwelt by the Holy Spirit, but not necessarily filled with the Holy Spirit. Those are two distinct and separate ideas. Um, In Ephesians 1.13, it says that every Christian is sealed with the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 4.30, it says the same thing. Every Christian is sealed with the Holy Spirit. But he says that then in Ephesians 5.18, now be filled with the Holy Spirit. They're two separate ideas. The receiving the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit are two separate ideas, separate experiences, okay? Um, And Paul is saying that to the same people. Romans 8 says if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't belong to Jesus. You can't be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. But there is still more. There is a filling of the Holy Spirit that is subsequent to conversion and distinct from conversion. This is an imperfect illustration, but I'm going to share it because I think it helps wrap our heads around this. Every morning I get up and the first thing I have to do immediately is take this little tiny pill every morning, a prescription medis- medication. I have to take it and I have to wait 60 minutes before I can eat. Does anyone else have any pills like that? All right, see who has pills. Okay. So any medis- medicine where you have to wait 60 minutes before you can eat. If you eat in it prematurely, that food will hinder the absorption of the medication into your body. It needs to go into an empty stomach, and then it gets into your bloodstream, and then it has the intended effect, right? So you can actually quench the effect of that medication if you don't take it with water, eat immediately after, and all that kind of stuff. Is that are you following this so far? When I pop that pill in my mouth and drink that water, it's in me, right? It's in me. There's nothing else I have to do to shove it deep down. or It's, it's in all the way, right? But it, but it still needs to hit my bloodstream. The filling of the Holy Spirit is kind of like when God hits your bloodstream. And all of a sudden, you, you, you feel the effect. Um, you can quench the effect of your medication if you don't follow the, the instructions. You can also quench the effect of the Holy Spirit in your life by continually choosing sin that you know is wrong. I'm not talking about I didn't know or accidents. I'm talking about willful choosing of disobedience. You can quench the Holy Spirit by saying no to God. It's, it's crazy how bold we are to say no to God. Uh, so the first concept, the first principle I want to identify here, and, and is that The relationship between conversion and justification and the filling of the Holy Spirit is that they are distinct. Actually, Acts chapter 8 has this great story of the Samaritan Christians who had already heard the gospel and believed it from Philip. They had already been baptized in the name of Jesus, but they still sent them, I think, Peter and John, so that they might receive the Holy Spirit. These are people that have even been baptized. And they have heard about the death and the resurrection. They had heard about Pentecost, but... They still needed to receive the Holy Spirit. So they sent them to apostles to pray for them. Second concept I want to look at is that uh, the filling of the Holy Spirit does relate to repentance, obedience, death and resurrection. So we see that they have already uh, received John's baptism right here, uh, which means that they are they've already repented of sin. They've already said, "I know what sin is. I don't want anything to do with sin. I'm going the other direction from sin. I'm not embracing sin. I'm rejecting sin." They've already repented of sin, and they uh, have been—they bat- have received John's baptism. But here, uh, they are going to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So, really quick, back to this: they are going to be baptized twice. Now, I know before you go jump and say, "I need to be baptized twice," you need to understand that. The first time they got baptized, they were looking forward to the cross. Now they're looking back to the cross. We don't have to look forward to the cross. We only look back to the cross. They lived in a unique period of time where the crucifixion happened in their lifetime, most likely. OK, so we only need the baptism of Jesus. We can repent during that. But they these folks have already repented. And now their baptism in Jesus's name has uh, made them associate with the death and resurrection of Jesus. In order to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you have to die to yourself, which is really what baptism is is a part of. It's it's you dying to your selfishness, to your self-centeredness, to your narcissism, to your love for yourself. It's a step of obedience. It's a recognition of death to self. And the filling of the Holy Spirit often comes after a period of holy frustration where there's a sin that you just cannot get victory over. Or you're you're staring like straight at your lack of power in your life. Like every time I share the gospel, it falls flat. Every time I pray, it falls flat. Every time I teach or preach or lead or do anything, it falls flat. And that really creates a sense of frustration, but it's a good frustration. It's a frustration that you should feel. And you can deal with that frustration two ways. You can lower the standard and just say, well, I guess it's supposed to be like this way. I guess I'm supposed to always be weak and never defeat sin and never see any fruit. You can do that. Or that frustration can drive you to God. And you can say, God, I need more of you. I need more. I surrender. I submit. Crucify me. uh, More of you, less of me. But that frustration is actually what gets us to the point where we're ready for the Holy Spirit. So if you're not frustrated yet, it could be for a few reasons. It could be because you're doing great. You might not be frustrated because, hey, you're seeing fruit, you're walking in victory, and that's good. Celebrate that, stay humble, and walk in that. But you could also uh, not be frustrated because you don't care. You know what I mean? And so I want to encourage you to care. Third principle that I want to look at, and I'm going to get into like some specifics here, is the laying on of hands in verse six. There's this common occurrence that takes place in the book of Acts. There's seven different times where people are filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts. And three of those times, someone lays hands on a person. So it says here that Paul laid his hands uh, on them. So when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. So we literally touch them. Now, uh, the laying on of hands means something very specific in the Bible. It doesn't mean what we think it means. So we think the laying on, sometimes we, it's, we like watch too much Harry Potter, I think. And we think that when we touch someone, the Holy Spirit zaps out of us into them. Sorry, Lila, to pick on you. Here, Cindy. Bzz. Okay. So <laughs> you've been in church a lot. All right. Listen. The Holy Spirit doesn't travel down your arm, zap out your fingertips, and then go into another person. Okay, that's some Ghostbusters stuff, all right? That's not Bible stuff. Here's what the laying on of hands means in Scripture. It means that I am affirming, I am uh, supporting, and I am encouraging this. This that God's doing in your life, or you as a person. So Timothy had the apostles lay their hands on him as a form of public affirmation. Okay. When they laid their hands on these people and prayed for them to be filled with the Holy spirit, it was a public affirmation and agreement. It was not the Holy spirit zapping out of them and into these other people. Okay. Does everyone follow that? So when Paul lays his hands on them, it's essentially his way of saying they're ready. Their motives are right. Their heart is pure. They have achieved spiritual hunger So God, come and fill them. Okay? It's not a magical power that he can manipulate and transfer from his arms into their bodies. Okay. So that's a laying on of hands. And then finally, there's some evidence. There's some proof. When they get filled with the Holy Spirit, they're not the same. So in this particular passage, it says that when the Spirit came on them, them, they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. Okay. So That's proof, right? Okay, good. That's some evidence, right? There should always be evidence. When the Holy Spirit is active in a person's life, when the Holy Spirit fills a person, there should always be evidence. Now, churches actually have argued over what the evidence is for a long time. I believe that the evidence of the Holy Spirit is the fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, they I say gentleness, and self-control. That's the evidence that we should be looking for. We should be looking for holy living. We should be looking for effective service. Now, one fascinating thing that's happened is entire churches and denominations have said, well, look, these people spoke in tongues. Everyone's going to speak in tongues. And if you don't speak in tongues, then you must not have the Holy Spirit that's not correct that's not the way we should read the bible that the way it happened for one person is the way it's going to happen for everyone i mean there did you get the sheet on your way in looks like this pull that up grab that if you don't mind there's seven times just in the book of acts where someone is filled with the holy spirit There is no formula. They don't all look the same, okay? Uh, Of those seven times, three of them, they speak in tongues, which means that less than half the time, that's what happens. Now, it happens multiple times, so we have to say, this is a possibility. This might be the way this is going to go. We should be open to this. We should be fine with it. But we also can't force it or require it. Do you understand? So openness... uh, or some sort of expectation, but not having an agenda for how this has to look every time, okay? I I know probably some of you, and I know people outside of this room and inside of this room have been in situations where people were praying for them to be filled with the Holy Spirit and would not give up until you prayed in tongues. And I know people that faked it so they could go home. I know a woman who, uh, she's not part of our church, she was uh, she knew that she needed the power of the Holy Spirit in her life and she went up to an altar call and asked for the Holy Spirit and this particular church believed that you had to pray in tongues, that was the proof and they made this young lady just, she was up there two hours getting prayed for and she finally just was like eh, blah 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 was like okay you got it, you're good to go and listen that's not how it works and and shame on them for forcing it and shame on her for faking it you know what I mean I mean but I get it I if I was in her shoes I probably would have been like yabba dabba doo let me go you know and I say that as someone that believes in tongues and prays in tongues so I'm not some like outsider who like doesn't believe in this I believe in and practice it I just I don't see that in the Bible. This isn't about my personal preference. It's about Bible study. So, okay. This uh, handout that I made for you, these are the seven times in the book of Acts that people are filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to encourage you to take this home for your own study. You might want to just read one of these a day for the next week and take your own notes. Every experience looks a little bit different, but there are some common themes. We find that a lot of times it happens uh, as a corporate experience where more than one person is filled with the Holy Spirit at once. We see that often someone is laying hands on them. We see that it often results in bold preaching and bold evangelism. Uh, There are supernatural things that take place. Uh, but they don't all look the same. And so we can't get really caught up on it. has to look like this all the time. What we really ought to get caught up on is, I need this. I need the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. Now, um, I shared some statistics with you earlier about how 58% of Christians don't believe the Holy Spirit is real, and 22% believe that Jesus sinned. This quote from A.B. Simpson about the Ephesian, these Ephesian disciples kind of makes me think of modern church. The condition of these Ephesian disciples is, we fear, representative of a great majority of professing Christians today. They have accepted the ministry of repentance. They have experienced to some extent conversion. They've begun to change their course of life, but they have not received the Holy Spirit. As I said in Acts chapter 8, the Samaritan believers have already been saved. They've believed. They've repented, they've already been baptized in the name of Jesus, but they still have yet to receive the Holy Spirit. And that is not a unique uh, dispensation or period of time. They had, This is post-Pentecost, this is uh, the evangelist Philip, this is, I mean, this is that's what happened to them applies to us, okay? They weren't exceptional or unique. They were an example for us. So, uh, What this quote is saying essentially is that there's more. A great majority of professing Christians have accepted the ministry of repentance. They've experienced to some extent conversion. They've begun to change their course of life, but they've not received the Holy Spirit. Uh, A commentator named Ajith Fernando says this, The baptism of the Holy Spirit implies fullness. And those that are not experiencing this are having a sub-biblical experience. Here's the question I would ask you. Are you experiencing fullness or not? Would you describe your walk with Jesus as full and overflowing or dry and weak? And whatever your answer is, that's okay, because today we get to go for fullness. If you would say it's dry and weak, you don't have to stay that way. You'll stay that way as long as it takes you to get frustrated. You'll stay that way as long as it takes you to die to yourself. Earlier this week, I I don't know if this was released this week, but I read earlier this week a Pew Research Center study that was looking at the state of Christianity in the United States over the last 10 years. So 10 years ago, 77% of Americans claimed to be Christian. I don't know if you remember 10 years ago, but uh, I don't remember it being extra Christian back then. Do you, like three out of four people, Chris? like, I don't remember, I lived here in 2009, I don't remember being able to walk into Wawa in the parking lot and be we like, praise Jesus, and everyone was like, oh yeah, praise Jesus. I don't remember it being like that. Yeah. Do you? No. Yeah, me neither. I don't remember being able to walk into right and saying, who wants to come to a Bible study? And everyone being like, oh, I would, but I have my own. That was 2009. 77% of Americans said they were Christians. Now, 10 years later, 65% of Americans claim to be Christian. That's a 12% drop. That's about 40 million people, almost. Now, it does show, oh boy, does it show 12%. Just 12%, look at the shift that's taken place. But let's be real. There's no way... 65% 65% of Americans are Christians, right? I mean, if I, if I walked into the grocery store and there were 100 people, should I expect 65% of them to be Christians? I've never been to that grocery store. There is no way 65% of Americans are Christians. There's a lot of people that are saying they're Christians that are not living biblically they're having sub-biblical experiences right i would guess and i don't have like my own study to back this up i would guess probably 15 percent of americans are actually walking out their faith authentically and genuinely even if imperfectly probably 15 percent which means If 65% claim to be Christian, but only 15% are, that means 50% of Americans do not know what it means to actually be a Christian. That sounds closer to reality to me, which is kind of what A.B. Simpson's getting at. Kind of religious, kind of spiritual, but there's no way that they're living in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, right? Now, before we go and point the finger outside, we need to look inside, right? Because that inside is the only thing we have any control over. We can complain about the culture and the, you know the community and all that, but listen, the only thing we have any control over is us. And I wonder... Is some of us are having sub-biblical experiences as well. Where we are seeing things in the Bible that are not taking place in our lives. And that's if you are, if, if you're seeing things in the Bible that aren't taking place in your life, that just makes you normal. But do you aspire to live out the Bible? Even if you're not doing it yet, do you at least have in your heart a desire to do that, or have you settled and lowered the standard? So I want to invite you this morning. I want to give kind of a general invitation. I don't want to get too technical about this this morning. If you want more of God in your life, however that looks, however you've been walking with God, however close or distant you have felt over the weeks and years. If you want more of God today, I have a few people that are going to come up and help me pray for you. Um, Scott and May are going to be up here. John Eric. I think he's going to be up here, although I think he's holding it down in the basement. Emily, can you help me? Sorry. Um, John and Judy McManus are going to join me up here. So come on up, folks. If you would like someone to pray for you, and it's just as simple. I want more of God, whatever it looks like. You don't need to get caught up on language about filling of the Holy Spirit and stuff. Just I want more of God, and I'm ready. I am like so ready to surrender to this. I want to invite you to come up and be prayed for. If you would rather handle this privately and you don't want anyone to pray for you, there's plenty of room up here for you to come to the altar and pray yourself and do some one-on-one time with Jesus. But uh, all three households up here are elder households, okay? So would you mind standing with me? I want to pray for us. I want to dismiss you. Feel free to hang out, have something to eat, say hello to some people. But if you want people to pray for you, that you would experience more of God come up front. Lord, we will never exhaust you. You, There's always more of you for us to encounter. As deep as we go, we could go deeper still. As far as we go, we could go further still. So, Lord, I pray that you would give us spiritual hunger. Lord, we renounce the lowering of the standards the lowering of the expectation that you are a powerful, supernatural God who interacts with your creation. We renounce the lowering of the standard of holiness and reverence, God. And we're asking you to call us back up to a biblical standard. We don't want to live and have sub-biblical experiences. We want to have biblical experiences. We want to have a biblical walk with Jesus where we can point to our life and point to scripture and say, these look similar. So, Lord, we come to you in humility. We come to you in brokenness, knowing that there's nothing in our own strength that we can do to accomplish this, but that we need you to step in and empower us by the Holy Spirit. I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Feel free to hang out. Thank you for coming today. See you next week. Come on up if you'd like to be prayed for.